If the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. God wants to finish the story. And the very thing that we would love, He enfolds in Himself all that would bring joy and life and peace to us. Welcome to Keep the Main Thing, a podcast of sermons and messages from Pastor Leland Evenson. I'm Mark Evenson. Pastor Lee's sermon from May 10th, 1987 was given on Mother's Day. He titled it Life Adjustment Hour. He apologizes for going a bit long that day. In reality, the recorded sermon, which was from the second service, was only really about five to 10 minutes longer than usual. By May of 1987, prospects for my mother's recovery and being cured of cancer were not good. I think anybody who was close to the situation knew that Pastor Lee was giving a final Mother's Day tribute to his wife and mother of his three children. We speak a lot about Pastor Lee's sermons being timeless. This is again quite evident in this message from 1987. In this talk, he cites the challenges that many of the youth were coping with back in 1987. Depression, suicide, stress, not able to cope with the hardships. Does it sound familiar? We would readily agree that those same issues and cultural characteristics exist today, perhaps even more so post-2020. We would also agree with his contention that a healthy home is of the utmost importance in raising up our children. I did get a kick out of the fact that he shared concern that we were making life too easy on our children, which given the time frame would have been directed at the last of the baby boomer generation, raising children for Generation X, who are now readily being accused of spoiling and coddling their children even more so today. It has been fun to listen to several of his sermons and discover how accurate his observations, insight, and predictions have come to fruition. His constant adage on this Sunday in May was, life is good, but life is hard. It can certainly be echoed through all generations. A couple of other great principles he shares are, freedom is to do what you ought to do, not what we want to do. And invest time in your children now when they are young, or you will have to spend time with them later. I know you will find this sermon meaningful and helpful, whether you are a grandparent or a new parent. This message was definitely for all parents that day. Here is Life Adjustment Hour, Pastor Leland Evenson, May 10th, 1987. If you have a reservation someplace and need to leave, I won't be slighted. Uh, the service, the first service went a little longer than I had anticipated and thought some things I wanted to share and hopefully try to share some of the same things at this service. Some ways departing from my script. So if you have to leave, whenever or during the hymn after why nobody will look at you cross-eyed. Uh, also, I need to say that a lot of personal references this morning in terms of family. Uh, I sh over the years, I've shared a lot in terms of the failures of our family, our uh, mistakes, 
the things we've done wrong, the things the children have done wrong, the balls they've thrown through our windows and the bikes they've left in the driveways and the times I've uh, had to go out and see the dean and uh, all those things. Uh, you know us and uh, we do not pretend to be a model of a perfect family, but today I want to share some positive things uh, to encourage you in your ministry, in your home, and uh, the importance that this ministry has. And uh, I just kind of say this as part of the introduction. Today is, and people are going to really give me a bad time, I said the first service, this is the introduction, and uh, next, on Father's Day will be the, the conclusion. And uh, the introduction's about a half hour, I suppose, so, uh, but maybe that's all it'll have is introduction and then conclusion on Father's Day. I have a certain real burden for a certain area of concern and in all areas of concern of parents' ministry. But there's a particular area I want to focus on and beginning this week and completing on, on Father's Day, which is, who knows, I don't know when Father's Day is. I always know on Mother's Day, but it's in June sometime. Irma Brombeck, uh, Irma Brombeck uh, wrote a neat uh, column a year ago on Mother's Day in the St. Paul uh, Sunday paper it said today is the big game the world series of motherhood it's the day we all line up to claim the spoils of our existence meet the all stars there are the stepmothers who are sent into the game at halftime to try and pull a win out of the fire <coughs> there are the single mothers who hit the ground running desperate to hit every ball that is pitched and touch every base there are the adoptive mothers who are pinch hitters when a scheduled batter doesn't show up. And of course, there's a perennial favorite, the real mothers, which is really redundant. Warming up in the bullpen are the younger women, fresh from school or careers, who look to the game with apprehension, wondering if they can make it in the big league or if they'll like it once they get there. I've covered this team for more than 20 years. Don't let the mother's coolness fool you. See that mother over there? She's from North Lake, Illinois. She should have retired from the game years ago, but her daughter left her husband when he refused to change the baby. So the daughter went to work, and guess who was back at bat, bringing up baby? There's a mother from Denver, Colorado, who can't explain her slump. In her words, I raised six children, same house, same rules for all. Have four paying their own way and living a good life, but two are in prison. There's a mother from Ohio who tries to ignore the chant from the stands. You're not my mother, you're not my mother, you're not my mother. She just tries to concentrate on raising three stepchildren by telling them, I don't hate you, I hate the way you act. <clears throat> There's an entire section of mothers in the stands who root for the team but never play. They want desperately to be in the game, but because of personal circumstances, place their babies in the arms of other women to raise. <clears throat> They never miss an all-star occasion like today to reflect and to relive the pain of being on the sidelines. There are mascots, of course, who hang around to keep the level of humor high, like the mother from Minneapolis who was crippled at the age of 14 with the loss of a leg and had five children, all home deliveries, and said, having babies is no big deal, raising them is. The mother from Hollywood, California is a rookie who gave birth to a preemie who was epileptic and still has a lot of problems. My husband and I are members of Narcotic Anonymous, 
and have been clean for 10 years. We feel 24 hours a day. Everyone on this team has something in common. They've all struck out, hit home runs, stolen a few bases, been at the top and at the bottom of the league, been pulled out of retirement, and suffered burnout. But mostly, they feel 24 hours a day. The teacher, second grade teacher that was <clears throat> giving a science lesson to her class, it was a lesson about the magnet. A few days later, she gave them a test. On this test, there was a question that read, my name starts with M, has six letters, and I pick up things. What am I? <laughs> the teacher was slightly surprised to find that nearly half the class answered with the word mother. There's <clears throat> a strange contrast today. There's more emphasis on the importance of the home. Some say the next election that the, both political parties are trying to pick up on seeing the importance of the home. Reading the paper on the way home from Texas on Thursday, I've had the USA paper, and there was a column by a man who said it's desperately important that parents, the mother, spend the first three years at home with that child that quality time doesn't make up for quantity. And I say that to some of you who I know for economic reasons can see no way to do that. But there are others of you that need to consider and to think through some of the reasons and maybe some of the sacrifices that can help you in order to spend that quality preschool time with your children. We see more and more that we're molded in childhood Adult Children of Alcoholics is an organization that started to see that children who grew up in that kind of atmosphere still are dealing with problems that go back there. Basic Youth Conflict Seminar has the philosophy that there are certain things that we don't work out in youth that ultimately we have to work out in adulthood. More and more we see in a variety of seminars and places the importance of those first few years in the life of a child. The burden the Lord has given me today is the importance of the home and learning how to cope and to face life. Before Confirmation Sunday, I was reading in Christianity Today, and they were talking about the youth suicides. And the point that they made is that these young people are not able to cope with life. The 700 Club, the following week, uh, when we went down to Texas, Miriam and I happened to be watching it, and Pat Robertson made exactly the same point, that somehow <clears throat> we are raising our children not able to cope with life. A relationship breaks up, or they don't get a certain grade on a subject, and somehow it just throws them, rather than seeing it in the bigger perspective. They, they haven't learned how to cope and how to handle life. Judith Madison has written a book called Life is Good, Life is Hard. I haven't read the book, but I'm going to. Because it's true, and that's something we need to teach and impress on our children. The theme of the history of our country, the sod cabins and the working from dawn to dust and pass it, the difficulties and the sacrifices 
remind us that life is good, but life is hard. And today, with all our conveniences and all of our buttons and all of our computers, it really hasn't changed. Life is good, but life is hard. It was a traumatic experience for me to learn how to ride a bicycle. <clears throat> My dad put me on this bike and went down this gravel road that uh, went right through our farm place. And after he had me going and thought he had me balanced, he would let go. And I would go a little ways and then for hit some gravel or something or lose my balance. And I would hit the gravel and be coming up spitting out gravel, scraped arms, angry at the bike as if it were the bike's fault. My father could have put straw, you know, on each side of the road. And uh, I'd have had a nice soft place to land and to cushion my fall till I learned how to ride that bike but he didn't because he knew he knew that life is hard son and life is good and you're not going to have a cushion path they're not going to have straw to fall on you need to learn how to cope when you tip over when you come up spitting gravel when you scrape your arm or when you scrape your emotions or when you're scraped in your life the, tr the thing today, see, is I look and perceive and I've even looked at my own life is that we're trying to put training wheels on everything for our children. We're trying to cushion the path. Rather than preparing the child, we're preparing the path and we think if we buy them all kinds of good things and really make life soft for them and easy for them that somehow it will all work out. My children had training wheels on their bike. I don't think that uh, we should make our children learn to ride bikes without training wheels or go to the kind of dentist that some of us went to in the early days with those old kinds of drills. But I do say that somehow we need to let them know that we don't live in a painless world. that there aren't training wheels or pills for everything. <clears throat> Clyde Reed wrote something called Celebrate the Temporary. He said, one of the most common obstacles to celebrating life fully is our avoidance of pain. We dread pain. We do anything to escape pain. <clears throat> our culture reinforces our avoidance of pain by assuring us we can live a painless life. Advertisements constantly encourage us to believe that life can be pain-free, but to live without pain is a myth. This is an unmistakable, clear, unalterable fact. Many of us do not realize that pain and joy run together. When we cut ourselves off from pain, we have unwittingly cut ourselves off from joy as well. Life is good, but life is hard. And the ministry of parents is not to try and put training wheels on everything that a child does. It's not to try and cushion the path and put the straw or whatever else we want to put there. But the point is to prepare the child how to cope with broken relationships 
or when you lose your job, as I heard between services, one of our men lost, or when you get a physical affliction, a sickness, or when there's death in the family, or an accident in a car, or when you don't get that grade, or make that team. How do they cope? First, of course, is a relationship to the Lord. Someone has said, this is the way we start today in a corner of hell called home. There are a lot of homes that are a corner of hell where there's only bickering and fighting and crabbing and complaining. Hell on earth rather than something what Jesus said home should be a taste of heaven. And it's that way because somehow many homes haven't come to the grips with the importance of a Christian faith that just doesn't sit on a decorated wall, but that comes into our lives. That somehow we need, in this day and age, if ever, to teach our children the reality and power of the Christian faith, that there is a good shepherd who is with us, who leads us, in the midst of the 2,000 different messages we are told now that kids get every day in a variety of ways, in the midst of that, our gospel says there is one voice that we need to hear, and they need to be trained to hear that voice. They need to see that pray, prayer is not some kind of a parachute tucked away in some attic, but that prayer is for Jesus to cope with life. He was in prayer to pray when they lose something, to pray when they're sick, to pray when they're confused, to pray when they're frustrated, to see as looking at you as models that somehow they see you cope with life, not by running to a liquor cabinet or to a medicine cabinet or to your work or wherever else, to our sleep, wherever we may run, but they see that you cope with life because you know the reality and power of one who calls himself the Good Shepherd. When I was a little, about seven, eight years old, we had a tornado that took our, our barn and windmill and some other buildings. We were down the cellar looking out at this old house and uh, wondering if it was going to go. It shook, and for, by God's grace, some reason it didn't go. We, I still remember our family being down there, my father looking out this window, <clears throat> watching our big, tall evergreen bending and bowing and all of that, but never, never breaking and never being uprooted. The roots were there. And as I reflect back, I think of my, my parents as that evergreen whose roots had gone deep, who stood there in the midst of that and in, in living in almost little above poverty, knowing that everything could be lost, but yet in, sense, in there I sense a sense of peace that life is hard, but life is good, and life will go on. And we are together. Somehow we need to have our children rooted in something deeper than materialism or secularisms or all of the isms of our day. That if they're going to cope with life, if they're going to meet life, if they're going to enjoy life, somehow they need those roots that go down 
deep into the soil of God's word and God's power and God's love. To prayer, to pray, and not to curse life or to curse luck. Life is good, but life is hard. And they need the sense that our roots go deep into him and who he is and what he brings. We also need to help them see that to cope with life, that there is discipline, the relationship to ourselves. that freedom is doing what we ought to do and not what we want to do. When my boys were young, about 16, I prayed for summer jobs. I prayed for hard jobs. I prayed for physical work. Eight hours, maybe even ten hours, that somehow they would have the experience of living and working with hard with their phys- with their hands and their bodies to see these bodies the endurance that there is there that even in the midst of pain and tiredness you can go on I didn't tell them I was praying that way <laughs> the Lord honored those prayers and I believe they're better for it I think everyone should have that experience of doing hard labor or eight or ten or twelve hours a day, day after day, for a whole summer or a whole year. Discipline. The more disciplined we are, the happier we are. And if life is good, life is hard, and Jesus reminds us over and over again that he was disciplined in his own life. And Hebrews 12 talks about being disciplined. In Proverbs it says, A child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Another verse in Proverbs, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of reproof driveth it far from him. Train up a child in the way that he should go. We need to discipline ourselves in investing time in them, not spending time. Zig Ziglar, who... We're going to use as videos during our VBS. By the way, I hope all of you with children will be there. That's investing time. If we don't invest time now, we spend time later getting them out of jams, trying to work through their lives in a variety of ways. Better to invest time now. He talks about raising positive children in a negative world. The discipline that they would see in us you go to treatment centers now for chemical dependency for youth, and it's discipline. I mean, it's hard discipline. They come to realize that the key to their healing and to their being able to go on with life and meet life and not to escape life is to be disciplined. And so they ride them day and night. Every hour is under authority and accounted for. There's a prison who allows some of the prisoners to go through a basic training for a number of weeks and if they pass it there are years that are taken off their prison term because they come to see that the more disciplined these people are the better they feel about themselves so they get them up at 4.30 in the morning have them disciplined the whole day.
life is good and life is hard. And freedom is doing what we ought to do, not what we want to do. They need to see us model that and to see us invest time to discipline them. And finally, in relation to others. First Peter talks about unjust suffering. We live in a world with people, variety of people, people that we need to learn to cope with and to live with and relate to, and there's a lot of difficult people. We're all difficult and at times because of our sinfulness and our imperfectness that we confess every Sunday. We say, you make me sick. We say, you made me lose my temper. We are our own worst enemy. And our children need to learn that they, that they need to learn to deal with difficult people or unjust suffering or unjust kinds of things that happen in their lives. But somehow you can't put training wheels in that they're going to go through life avoiding these people going left and right. Our kids were no different than yours. They would come home complaining about the teachers and they're unfair and unjust and about their coaches and athletics that they were somebody else is playing and they should be playing and all of these things they would bring home. Hopefully we would listen to them. But then we would always say, this is a test. You're always going to have that you've got to face. You're always going to have times when you feel you're not being treated fair. You're always going to have that. Sooner or later you've got to deal with that kind of person, that kind of teacher, that kind of coach. You can't be always avoiding them. You need to learn to act and not react. I remember only once sitting down with a teacher and one of my children for some communication. But I told them to go back and to do the best that they could. We encouraged them. That that teacher wasn't their enemy. That coach wasn't their enemy. They were their own worst enemy because somehow we need to learn to, to see that the, the love and power of Jesus in us is sufficient to be able to relate to anyone, even our enemies. It talked about Jesus in this text. Peter uses him as an example. He committed no sin, no guile was found on his lips. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. How are children going to cope? They're going to cope by beginning to act and not react. My father taught me well and my mother. There was a man in our community called Chris Larson. Think of the most cantankerous man that you can imagine and double it, then you'll have Chris. He was on the creamery board with 
my father who was the bookkeeper and some other men. Every meeting, board meeting, Chris had something he was always cantankerous about. He would accuse my father and the butter maker of making off with some of the profits, though the books were audited every year. Then he began to accuse the auditor, and that didn't work. He finally found a way because the mailman would come down the extra three-quarters of a mile rather than making the turn. <clears throat> there were three farmers, my father, my uncle, and another farmer who lived, and he said, I'll come down that road, give me a little bit for gas, and I can, I'll take my time and come down to Chris Larson, heard about it, he talked to the government, and they made the mail carrier stop. Every Sunday, Chris was in the front row in church. But my father would always go, say good morning, how are you? He didn't react, he acted. He didn't allow him to get, make him get down on the floor and crawl with him. He, he wasn't vindictive. He was forgiving. There was no guile. I never heard him talk at home about Chris Larson, about anger or bitterness or vengeance or any of the rest. Some neighbors' dogs got into our young pullets, which was a great part of our profit and our living, killed a number of them. But again, I sense no guile, no vindictiveness, no resentment, no bitterness in his heart. He was teaching me to learn that life is hard, but life is good, and you don't allow life to narrow down because somebody has treated you unfairly or wrongly and you are suffering in the wrong way. I feel sorry for Salome, who went to her mother. And she said, Mother, what should I ask? He says, even the half of the kingdom. And this bitter, vindictive mother said, ask for the head of John the Baptist. And how often do our children sense in us a bitterness and a vindictiveness and a vengefulness in our lives? rather than somehow that the love of Jesus and the grace of Jesus is sufficient to forgive even 70 times 7. They need to learn it. I wondered if my son had learned that because a few months ago he was treated unjustly, should have had a promotion. Naturally, I thought so, and as he shared it with me, I thought he was... He was sharing honestly and certainly looking at everything he should have been promoted. He wasn't because of our problem with, ra with ratios and minorities and women. He didn't get it. I thought, has he learned now? What's going to happen? Is he going to sit back and for the rest of his life have a bitter, vindictive spirit toward Ford Motor Company and this great huge corporation and in a sense maybe could care less. But he went back to the drawing boards, back to his work, back to doing even a better job to, to convince them that who he was and it became known who he was and he had some wonderful things happen. And a few months later the promotion came when finally in the national magazine when one of his promotions was pictured. He could have spent his life reacting and I was grateful at that point that hopefully he has learned and will continue as all of my children will continue to learn that we don't allow other people 
people who are hard to relate to, tough to understand, hard to be patient with, whether it's in the traffic, in the mornings, in a grocery store, neighborhood, school. We need to teach them how to cope by acting and not reacting. We need to teach them how to cope by the greatest power, the power of love, for God is love. Love is the strongest power in the world, someone has said, but it's power seldom used. A mother's love and a mother's prayers can move mountains. I've seen it done. I've read about it. Augustine's mother, Wesley's mother. There's another mother I know well. Because she happens to be my wife. And she, too, in her way, has shown the power of love and the power of prayers. A love that says, I believe in you, I stand with you, I accept you no matter what you do, where you go, what you're up to, I will love you. Some of you were here Good Friday night and heard the result of that kind of love and that kind of prayer when our oldest son shared on father into your hands I commend my spirit he could say that because he knew something of that love of the father and the shepherd through his mother who stood with him who loved him, who believed in him. I nominate her for MVP. Because, you see, she has learned that life is hard and life is good. She went from pillar to post till she was 12 years old. And she came to know the Lord Jesus, and that began to do the inner healing, I'm sure, and her sense of worth and all that goes with it. She quit her educational career to put her husband through three years of seminary for getting her own life and her own career. She lived the first 14 years of our married life in housing that was built in the early 1900s. should be on any historical register in our country. She was left every Sunday morning to fend for herself to get three energetic, squirrely kids ready and come into worship and to make them sit and to pay attention. In my former parish, when our children were little, one sympathetic older lady who didn't really know who she was came over and said, My, I admire you coming every Sunday, having these children so well-dressed and having a delinquent husband home in bed.
She never lost sight of her main role of ministry. Her main place of ministry was her home with her children, her husband, that it was to be a place of refuge and a retreat, that she wasn't called to be the associate pastor of the church, but her main ministry was to be in the home. Even in the midst of her teaching, she never lost sight of her priorities. She lived above circumstances, lives above circumstances as no one I have met. No matter how the days would go, she is upbeat and has been. When she was crabby, it was so rare the kids would ask, why is mother crabby? They couldn't believe it could be true, but she too would have her days very few and far between. She pursued an education career not for self-esteem or self-fulfillment, but to provide education and help for our family in ways that couldn't have been done without that. A rare lung disease struck her in the early 70s and made her heart work extra double, yet there were no pity parties that she would host. Life is good, and life is hard, but she's taught our children how to cope, how to overcome, how to be more than conquerors, how, as Paul said, I've learned the secret of being content in all circumstances. She has taught it well. And now, three surgeries, two years of fighting cancer, more pain in one day than I've had in my whole life, and a willingness to continue to live because her family, through our tears and through our cards and through our words and through our presence, we've told her that we need her, that we love her, that she's given us a sense of worth and esteem and importance as only she has reflected that of the Good Shepherd through her own life and through her own ministry. And we each know that. In mother's love and prayers, there is power. I have seen it. She didn't give up. She didn't say, let's take the easy road when Mark came and was wondering about taking an easy out. Let's not cushion the road. You need to face the consequences. But it's not hopeless. And I'll never forget the day my dad was buried on that day of the funeral. He said to his mother, Mark said, thanks. For not letting me take the easy way out, where life is good and life is hard, and Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, because of a mother's love and prayers, have that kind of power that would stand by, that would believe, that would accept only a mother's love, a love that comes from the shepherd and the prayers of parents have that kind of power. She's taught by her life, by her love and prayers, how to cope, how to take the hardest things life throws at you but to still see we're in the palm of his hand if we know him. 
And that's your greatest challenge as parents. Far above anything else, your careers, there are a hundred people waiting to take your place if you left tomorrow and take my place if I left tomorrow in our roles. But there's no one to take your place in the ministry of being a mother and a father. And your greatest challenge today is to teach your children how to cope because life is hard. It's even harder in ways for them today than it was for us. And somehow you need to put their hand in the hand of the Good Shepherd. You need to see that the roots of their life go down deep. This is your life adjustment hour. This is your chance in this short time. Your time to love them with a father's love, to introduce them to the good shepherd who would never leave them, to teach them a discipline of life. For life is good. But life is hard. And your ministry is not to try and figure out training wheels and prepare the path. But it's to prepare that beautiful son or daughter how to cope, how to overcome, how to be more than conquerors. The love and prayers can do those things. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into this world and teaching us by your life and your prayers how to cope. Thank you for being honest and remind us life is good, but life is hard. But by your grace, we live today and look forward to tomorrow. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message from Pastor Lee. And I hope you will consider passing this along to younger parents who might appreciate it and could benefit from this talk. I have searched high and low to find Irma Bombeck's newspaper column from 1987, the one Pastor Lee uses with the baseball metaphor. If you come across it, I would appreciate it if you would have posted on our Facebook page. Speaking of Facebook, don't forget we also have a presence on Instagram and Twitter now. Please be sure to follow us. A special thank you to Shauna who helped get us going on social media. And always a thank you to Spencer and Lee G for helping produce the podcast. Until next time, remember, life is hard, but it is also very, very good. Thank you.